Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Why has liberalism failed? Well, a conservative philosopher will tell you the reason and give you a prescription for how to solve it. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act local. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. Of course, if this, if this is June, if I can speak today, this is June 2023, use that coupon code JUNE and get 25% off all McClanahan Academy courses. The prices go up July 1st, 2023, so don't miss the opportunity to get these classes for the lowest price you'll ever see them again. So use the coupon code JUNE, buy one or 20 classes there, support this show, keep it free of charge and get great content on the back end. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com by going to Spotify for podcasters and subscribing there or going to YouTube and clicking on the super thanks button. That's another way to do it. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Let people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Tell your friends and family and enemies about it. That gets more eyes and ears on the show. And send me those show requests so I want to see what you want to hear, right? And this is something that was sent to me uh, from a listener. So I've been doing a lot of listener-generated material this week. And it's about uh, Patrick Deneen and his book, Why Liberalism Failed. And I want to focus on the last part of this article. First of all, it's at Politico, and it's an extremely long article. It, I mean, it would take me probably two podcasts to go through the whole article. But I want to focus on the last part of the article. Now, people had pointed out, that this particular piece very much sounded like the Southern tradition, that what Patrick Deneen is doing is the Southern tradition. And there is a, a bit of truth to that, though it's much more nationalist than the Southern tradition would allow. Now, you could say, well, what about John C. Calhoun? I just did a, a podcast last week on John C. Calhoun. Calhoun certainly was a nationalist in the truest sense of the term, but he also was a localist. Remember, John C. Calhoun said he was a conservative, because he's a conservative, he's a states' rights man. John C. Calhoun understood that conservatism would only exist and could only exist in that type of framework in America, because you had too many forces working against it. This is something I've talked about quite a bit on this program for conservatives. If you want to conserve anything, conserve the local. Now, Deenan, or Deneen, I should say, would agree with that to an extent though his program, his prescription, would be very much in line with the new national conservatives and uh, all the people that are now running around saying we have a new way to solve the problem in America. It's centralization of power. Everything's centralized. That's going to be a recipe for disaster. Because I can tell you this. 
in the United States, conservatives, real conservatives, will never have enough electoral power to pull this off and then maintain it. So all you're going to do is give the keys to the Corvette to the left, or I should say more accurately, the keys to the bulldozer to the left. And once you finish bulldozing some things, what do you think they're going to do when they get power? They're going to turn that bulldozer right back around on you and start bulldozing down everything that you did. We saw it. Trump leaves office, and what does Joe Biden do? He issues dozens and dozens of executive orders undoing everything that Trump did. And if we got a conservative in office, what do you think is going to happen? We're going to get the same kind of thing. This is the problem with executive government. This is the problem with a national government, because particularly with one that has no legislative anchor, we just have a judicial branch and an executive branch to do anything. Congress does nothing. I think it's hilarious. People are finally starting to see this. You get Republicans stand up and they make a lot of noise and they bluff and bluster, and then nothing happens. And you get Speaker McCarthy. Clyde Wilson pointed this out years ago. All the re What you get when you start voting Republican is Mike Pence. This is what you get. You get Mike Pence. And what is Mike Pence? Or you get Nikki Haley or you get Tim Scott. These are the kind of people you get for national Republicans. And it really doesn't matter if Patrick Deneen sits there and says, these are the kind of things we need to do. I'm sorry, but that's never going to work at the center. It's never going to work. Now, it could work at the local. It could work at the state level. These kind of things could work. The other problem with that is something I alluded to yesterday is that we have an unwritten constitution. So what's going to happen is the local will pass these laws, the states will pass these laws, and of course some dope is going to, is going to uh, challenge it in federal court where it doesn't even belong. They're not even, they're not even going to go to the state courts. They're just going to skip over that, go right to federal court. Then we have the unwritten constitution again. And this is what the left wants. They want the Congress to make it illegal for the Supreme Court to declare any federal law unconstitutional, but they can, they can invalidate any state law they wish. Why? Because they all recognize the states are the true power of conservatives in America. So when you start talking about national prescriptions for, some t for solving some type of problem, you are going to lose. Trust me, you are going to lose. It's never going to work. We need bottom-up, and the state needs to start ignoring what the federal government does. If people start doing that in enough numbers, you'll see everything turn around. But this is not going to be an immediate. And the problem with people like Patrick Deneen or the other people that he gets on board with or any of these other uh, people that have these great policy prescriptions for America, we're going to save America from the center. They're all immediatists. They don't realize this is a long war. It took a long time to get here, right? It took the progressives over 100 years to get where we are right now. It could take 100 years or more to undo all this nonsense. And that's, that's the danger that we're in. I know people say, well, gosh, I don't have that long. I don't have 100 years. No, no, I can't live another 100 years. I won't see this. Well, you got to plant the seeds now. This is where the education starts. This is where you start telling people. This is how you do it. You get involved in these things. You start talking about these things. And you know what? Eventually, it does turn around, but it takes time. It took the progressives a long time and a supreme dedication. They will never stop. They are untiring and unwavering in their pursuit of their agenda because their agenda is all about power. Whereas for a conservative, theoretically, the agenda is not really about power. It's about being left alone. It's about having power over your own life, even in your own community, about your community having power over itself. And not having some outside force, some federal judge, some person that moves in from some other state and decides to wreck things, some Karen, some Ken, something, in other words, a Yankee, come in from somewhere else and wreck something. That's, that's not what people want. 
They don't want these outsiders doing this stuff or some do-gooder who comes in and does something. I mean, it's this is the real issue that we have throughout the United States is that we don't have a, a, a people that believe that the bottom can do it. And I talked about this yesterday. I mean, the, the numbers show that most Americans think the Supreme Court is where we go if we have a constitutional problem. Most Americans think the, the answer has to come from the center because this is all we get. You watch the national news. You get the national news. You get this and that. You, everything comes from the center. We don't really even talk about the local. We don't think the local has any solution to this. And the only time you ever hear about it is when the feds want to try to knock something down in the local or somebody's complaining about something that somebody's doing at the state and local level. That's... This is what we get. There's nothing positive ever out of this. But there are positive examples after examples where people have done stuff and said, you know what? We're just not going to comply. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. We're not following along. We're not doing any of this stuff. And the states have started to block these things. Now, every time the state does something, I know there's a federal injunction. And this is the whole misconception about a federal injunction. In fact, it's something people have pointed out. Well, if, if the Supreme Court invalidates something in one state, does it apply to every state? Or just that one state? Just that one law. And this is this is a big discussion as well. So I want to get in the last part of this particular article uh, because it was um, it was interesting to me. Um, this is at Politico, and the title is "The New Right and Patrick Deneen." So it says in the final chapter of why liberalism failed, Deneen argued that although liberalism had failed, it had not reached the point of total collapse. Rather than trying to overthrow it and replace it with a new regime, Deneen counseled conservatives to focus on their local communities, building an archipelago of non-liberal communities within the broader sea of liberalism. Well, who's been talking about that for a long time, right? Think locally. In other words, you could, you could boil this down to think locally, act locally. Now, Deneen's book, Why Liberalism Failed, let me get the, uh, the publication here. Um, I don't remember the exact publication year. Um... But I've been saying this for, gosh, uh, seven years now. Uh, his book came out in the original, Why Liberalism Failed, the, the hardback version, came out in 2018, right? So I was saying this two, three years before Patrick Deneen. But it's, it's fine. I mean, he's advocating the same thing I've been doing. And, of course, this is something that the people at the Abbeville Institute and others have been doing for a lot longer than that, advocating the local. And the 10th Amendment Center has been around for 17 years. So Deneen is finally starting to realize, well, we need these local communities. So, but the piece says, within a year of the book's publication, Deneen realized that this proposal was too modest. Why? Why was it too modest? Well, he says around the world, liberal regimes were under assault from right and left-wing populist movements. He saw that as a window. Of, he saw that a window was opening for critics of liberalism to articulate a vision of an alternate regime in which conservatives presided over a strong central state. You see, this is his problem: a strong central state. How big? The United States, or a state like a Florida, or an Alabama, or a California, or a Massachusetts? What are we going to do? What kind of state are we talking about here? That's the real question. Deneen's early efforts to describe this vision brought him into contact with a small group of like-minded Catholic thinkers, including the Harvard Law professor Adrian Vermeil, the political theorist Gladden Papin, the theological, or I'm sorry, the theologian Chad Pecknold, and the conservative journalist Sorab Amari. 
The group began trading messages in a group chat, and they soon started co-writing essays and blogs laying out their vision across law, politics, economics, and theology. In November 2021, Deneen, Vermeule, Papin, and Pecknoll launched a Substack newsletter called The Post-Liberal Order to serve as a digital home for their ideas. In March 2022, Amari followed suit with a small online publication called Compact, a self-proclaimed radical American journal. Now, again, this is coming from Catholic theologians, um, and a lot of times, and recently in particular, you've had a lot of Catholics leading the way in conservative thought. A lot of it has to do with social issues, but uh, and then the, the Catholic interest in a different type of political economic order is also something that you need to address with this. But their basic prescription was the Southern tradition just on a larger scale. So they want the Southern tradition, what would be the Southern tradition, to be the dominant American position on social issues. They call it common good conservatism, and I've talked about that on this particular show as well. But it's, a, it's an alternative to the so-called liberal conservatism that has dominated right-wing movements around the world since the onset of the Cold War. On economic matters, Deneen's common good approach rejects free market fundamentalism and endorses nominally pro-worker policies to strengthen unions, combat corporate monopolies, and limit immigration. Now, if you go back and read Who Owns America in 1936, you're getting the same exact thing. Halyard Belloc got into this. People were talking about this, gosh, 90 years ago. Almost 90 years ago they were talking about this. So um, that's, the, that's the point. Right, 90 years ago, people were talking about this kind of thing. On social questions, it is explicitly reactionary, opposing progressive ideas about race, gender, and sexuality, and supporting policies to promote heterosexual family formation. For instance, Anine opposes gay marriage, denounces critical race theory as an effort to divide the working class, and generally supports policies to make it more difficult for married couples to get divorced. Now, again, this would be a very traditional thing. I mean, you go back to... Um, Tom Watson's Jeffersonian magazine. There were things about that in there, too. Um, even, in fact, the early... Well, I, I go back to Tom Watson before the Jeffersonian, before he became interested in race. He thought uh, that the working class, the farmers... This is kind of early populism in many ways. The farmers should get together and align themselves against the establishment. And that was the best way to preserve uh, the, the beneficial part of the economic order in America. I mean, this is... This is what is required. Um, so there's nothing really new about what Deneen is, is arguing here. It's just that people haven't heard this before in a long time. And Deneen had a very high profile. He's was at Notre Dame, uh, or he is at Notre Dame. Uh, he was at um, an Ivy League institution before that, didn't get tenure. So he had a pretty high profile. He was at Georgetown at one point. Had a very high profile academic profile, and this the piece gets into that, Deneen wanted to be a popular philosopher. He wanted people to listen to him, and that's what he's achieved. Even Barack Obama liked his book, which is interesting. Now, I think Obama liked it because, well, it's, it's an intellectual book, and Obama does like to wrestle around ideas. I mean, Obama's not an idiot, but uh, the, the thing is, you've, I mean, he's wrong on a lot of things, most things, but he's not an idiot. He's not a stupid person. Philosophically, common good conservatism is premised on the idea that there is a universal common good that transcends the interests of any particular community or constituency. 
belief with deep roots in Catholic social teachings. It rejects pluralism, as well as conservatives' traditional emphasis on limited government, arguing that a strong central government should endorse a socially conservative vision of morality and enforce that vision in law. So that's an important part of this. And again, I've mentioned this before. People are starting, to, and I've talked to young people who believe this stuff. They believe that if they can just get control of that central authority, it's already there. You already, I mean, it's not going anywhere. So we should just grab hold of it and control it and use it to our advantage. I caution them because the demographics and the voting patterns are not on the side of conservatives in America. It's why Calhoun was so interested in real federalism and not limited government, but limited central government. There's, you have to, you, we have a federal republic. You have to understand the structure of the American system when you talk about government. Is it you want a limited central government or a limited state government? Now, at the state level, you can do these things. And in fact, uh, there is an argument to be made for all of this stuff at the state level. To create these communities that reflect the political culture of the people that live in them. That's important. And when we do that, at the state level, you create a much happier environment. Now, you can have, you can have people in other areas do whatever they want. You can have Massachusetts be Massachusetts, and California be California, and Alabama be Alabama. That's the beauty of federalism. It's the beauty of the federal republic. It's what the founding generation understood it all to mean. Because South Carolina didn't want to be governed by Connecticut and vice versa. There was no interest in that. Virginia didn't want to be governed by South Carolina either. And Virginia didn't want to be governed by New York. Now you had people that were, I mean, New York does this and then that interesting. We should look at what New York's doing or other things. But certainly they all had their own political cultures. And even Calhoun in his political career said, if Virginia would just lead, we'd all be okay. Virginia led at one time. It's what drove Massachusetts nuts because Massachusetts wasn't getting its way. Massachusetts wanted to control the center and eventually it did after the war in 1865. We live in New England's America. The problem with Deneen is that he hasn't realized New England's America is dangerous for conservatism in America. You can't have it if you're going to have a New England America. Arguing that a strong central government should endorse a socially conservative vision of morality and enforce that vision in law. In contrast to the national conservatism that's also gaining traction on the populist right, Deneen's vision of conservatism is also skeptical of nationalism, which the post-liberals view as a byproduct of the liberal order. And they're right about that. I mean, nationalism is a byproduct of Napoleon. In, in so many ways, that's where it comes from. Napoleon as an extension of the French Revolution. Uh, so the right to be suspicious of nationalism, but what are you going to do about it? I mean, <laughs> you start talking about the center, and then you get into these kind of arguments. This is why this stuff is all confused. You need to focus on federalism to do these things. He says, it's not that any of us is anti-nation, but there has to be something both less than and more than the nation, Deneen told me. Local communities rooted in specific places and trans-nation communities rooted in a specifically Catholic notion of universal humanity. Local communities rooted in specific places. Yeah. And a particular tradition. And that tradition might fly in the face of common good conservatism. And it's just the way it's going to be. Deneen argues that this version of conservatism will eventually come to replace liberalism as America's governing philosophy through a process that he calls regime change. 
But as often the case with Deneen, he is frustratingly coy about what regime change actually entails or how it will unfold. Now, see, this is the problem I do have with people that get up and say, this is what we have to do. These are the prescriptions we have to have. This is what's going to happen. This They become prophets in some ways. This is what I see. This is exactly what's going to happen. When it doesn't happen, then they try to come up with some reason why it didn't happen and why their system failed and, and why it didn't work, etc., etc. In his latest book, he argues that regime change would require the peaceful but vigorous overthrow of a corrupt and corrupting liberal ruling class, making way for a new post-liberal order in which existing political forms remain the same but are informed by a fundamentally different ethos. This new regime will be superficially the same as the current political order, but it will be led by a new class of conservatives, elites who share the values of non-elites and govern in their interests. I mean, again, this is just kind of silly. That's not going to happen. Once these people get into the elite, they become the elite. And they're not going to... This is, this is utopian, you know, la-la land. It's not going to happen at all. Power will, make, will corrupt these people. The only way to do it is to do it from the bottom, to have a bunch of Patrick Henrys running around, or in modern sense, a bunch of Ron DeSantis's in every state. It's the only way it's going to happen. And these people have to be jealous and suspicious of the center. In the 18th century, we had Patrick Henry and George Clinton. We had John Hancock. We had these people that were giants in their own states that Madison wanted to check. And checking that has resulted in what we get now which is a bunch of ridiculousness from the center. Enforcing a culture on the rest of America from the center. Deneen calls the resulting alliance between post-liberal elites and conservative populists uh, was it? Aristopopulism and suggests I, I could barely even... Aristopopulism, I have this font really small, and suggests that it should span government, academia, media, entertainment, and other cultural institutions. In regime change, Deneen approvingly calls, um, reprovingly cites Niccolo Machiavelli's defense of the political tactics of ancient Roman plebeians, who occasionally joined together in mobs running through the streets to win political concessions from the nobility. So he's a Gracchi, right? I mean, Deneen sees himself as the Gracchi, the Gracchi brothers fighting the evil Senate. In Rome. I'm not endorsing political violence, Deneen told me when I asked about this passage, but peaceful can also involve what will be seen as an exercise of very robust political power. I asked if January 6th would be an example of acceptable Machiavellian tactics. For me, it wouldn't be, he said. Among Deneen's critics, though, the ambiguity of his vision suggests an unambiguous side toward a version of right-wing authoritarianism. Well, of course, they're going to see a fascist, they're going to see a Hitler around every corner, when it's not. I mean, people would call uh, the those who argued and you know, I'll, I'll take my stand or who owns America, they would say these people are fascists. Well, they, none of them were. In fact, they were denouncing it. They believed in something else. Distributism and uh, these kind of things. Or distributionism. You know, the, the, they were looking at a different kind of economic order or regionalism to try to come up with a way to handle the problems of the power of the center. That's all Deneen is trying to do here. But by saying we're going we're gonna to replace the center with another center and then believe that it's going to be better is the very definition of insanity. And that's the problem. That's the problem with Deneen. 
Uh, and, and why books like this and why arguments like this ultimately fall flat on their face. When you start believing in the center, you're going to face real issues. I wouldn't call it fascist yet. I stay away from the term just because I don't think it's especially useful right now. But I do think there's a lot of truth to those concerns, said Laura K. Field, a scholar in residence at American University who studies right-wing intellectual movements. A better framework for understanding Denine's objective, she suggests, is what scholars call illiberal constitutionalism, a sort of halfway house between liberal democracy and traditional authoritarianism that maintains the trappings of a liberal regime while dramatically expanding the power of the state. I think that they are paving the way for a certain kind of movement in that direction, she added. Among some conservatives, meanwhile, Deneen's work has inspired a different line of critique, namely that his post-liberal theory is excessively abstract at the expense of engaging with the messy realities of conservative politics on the Hill. Deneen is the first person to concede that he's not a policy expert, but he says that his new book is partly an effort to close the gap between post-liberal theory and conservative policy. For the end of regime change, Deneen includes a brief list of political of policy proposals that would dilute the power of the current ruling class before regime change comes to pass. Expanding the size of the House of Representatives, breaking up Washington by redistributing federal agencies around the country, strengthening the power of labor unions, expanding industrial policy, creating a family czar to promote family formation, and taking the endowments of elite colleges. All this coming from the center, right? So we're going to expand the House of, the, expand the House of Representatives, Bad idea. Uh, I mean, there's. I mean, I've talked about it on the show. There's certainly proposals to do it. I talked about it not long ago. Expand the house. Bad idea. You're just going to expand the pain. Uh, break up Washington by redistributing federal agencies around the country. That's actually not a bad idea. This is Hume's ideal republic. You had all these. You couldn't have. You couldn't centralize power in one place and all the corruption. So you broke it all out, and it made it much harder to have the corruption. It's not a bad idea. Strengthening the power of labor unions. Um, there's pros and cons to that. More cons, I think, than anything else. Particularly when you involve get involved in politics. But you know, states with strong unions, or still states, still states with a very strong labor union uh, participation. States like Pennsylvania, for example, they get involved in local politics, and it hasn't been very good, oftentimes, for the communities when these unions have done it. Expanding industrial policy. Well, what does that mean? Are we going back to the American system? What does expanding industrial policy mean? Or should we be expanding agricultural policy? What should we have? Should we have people that are tied into factory work and a wage job or a salary or people that are fundamentally independent with land and other things? The ability to do something outside of the factory. What should we be doing is the question. Having a family czar, so we're going to centralize, again, centralize more power. We're going to have to create this new unconstitutional thing, a family czar. Nobody's going to go for this stuff. This is just pie-in-the-sky ridiculousness in a lot of ways. Although these policies might not seem that radical on their face, Field told me it's not clear that Deneen imagines them being implemented within a constitutional system that guarantees equal protection under the law. There's a caginess about how these new policies will be deployed and whether or not they will operate within the constitutional protections afforded by the Bill of Rights, she said. I have not seen a single policy put forward by the post-liberals that would be, wouldn't be better pursued within the existing liberal democratic framework, so the idea of an overhaul of the actual regime seems really unnecessarily provocative and reckless. 
I mean, again, it's as all you're you're just replacing one group of elites with another, and you're thinking that these elites are going to be better than those elites. It's true. I mean, I think that critique is true. This is why centralization and what they're doing is downright stupid. This has to go to the states and go that way. It has to. It's the only way. It's the only way. And this isn't utopianism. This is the fr structure and framework that we're given in America that has been proven to work when you don't have a meddling center that's doing unconstitutional things. It's been proven to work. It's the most traditional thing you can do in America. Start from the bottom up. In the main, however, Deneen and post-liberals, fellow travelers, uh, post-liberals, fellow travelers remain clear-eyed about the headwinds that they face in convincing the mainstreams of the Republican Party to adopt even a modest version of their agenda. This is why you don't go the stupid Republican Party. Of course, the Republicans, we don't have a conservative party in America anymore. The Republicans aren't conservative. The Republicans are establishment. They're what they have been since the 1860s. They're a 19th century liberal party. It's what they are. First and modest, uh, first and most immediate problem is Trump himself, who Deneen calls in his new book a deeply flawed narcissist who will once appeal to the institutions of the people, but without offering clarifying articulation of their grievances. But the more significant problem, Amari told me, arises from the entrenched influence of conservative economic elites, whom the post liberals see as actively fighting against the emergence of a robust populist movement within the GOP. It's because these people have always been there in the Republican Party. You're, you're, you're trying, again, it's insanity. You're trying to solve the center with the center. It's never going to work. And it's just absolutely stupid to be doing this. So I wanted to comment on this stuff because people ask, so I would like to see my comments on it. Yeah, the common good conservatism, the, you know, the national conservatism, all that kind of stuff, it's all going to fail because it's the end of the game is replacing one center with another center and hoping that center is going to be better than this center. And then one size fits all policies. It's never going to work. You want change. You want this agenda that he wants. Start pushing it in your states and start ignoring the center. It's the only way to do it. You're working within the structure of federalism, which was established in 1783 with the Articles of Confederation and then only modified in 1788 with the ratification of the Constitution and only slightly modified at that. It still maintained the union of states. The center had some powers it didn't have before, but the union stayed the same. You want to have this kind of thing in America, then you better start working from the bottom up. All right. So that's my position on Patrick Neen's uh, book and his you know, common good conservatism. It's bound to fail because at the end of the day, you're dealing with the center and not the communities that need to produce this stuff. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.